When the leaves turn brown, they come a tumbling down. Remember. Oh, it's autumn. There is a chill in the air and a chill in our podcast coffers. If you like Crisis Twin, consider donating a small monthly surcharge to the podcast that will help support the operating costs and just general good vibes of this enterprise. It's completely optional and you can donate as much or as little as you want, but much like Melissa Leo once said, consider stay warm. Hey girlies, welcome to Crisis Twink, the podcast where we ring the alarm about cultural emergencies. Whether it's a flop album, an insane headline, a problematic fave, or just something that needs to be urgently discussed or you'll die, we're going to revive it and make sure it gets the medical assistance it so desperately needs. My name is Drew Haskins, and I'm the only twink who can save a culture in crisis. Joining me today is dear friend Grace Smooth. Hi. Hi, I'm so happy to be here today. It is truly an honor. Um, a long time coming. I feel like it's a, a I mean, meeting of the minds. I'm so excited. We have a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of stuff in common, and you were basically my first friend in Chicago. So yeah, you were basically my first friend in Chicago too. Yeah. I mean, it was a little testy there when I crashed your date, um, like very early. <laughs> right. on. Um, but yes, I'm so, I feel like this is a long time coming. So I'm so happy to get a chance to talk with you today. I, we have so much to cover. Like I, so we, I recorded the episode with our friend Allison earlier this week and I was lamenting how nothing really happens in the week between like Christmas and New Year's. So like, I was like, what the fuck are we going to talk about today? (laughs) Like there's like, like we, we manage, but like, it's, I feel like in the four days since recording that episode, the world has gone to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> so I like, mean, the world has shaken things up in the past couple of days. There have been breakups. There, you know, lots of scandals. I, lots of culture has happened, and I feel a little overwhelmed. So I'm glad that we're gonna be able to unpack some stuff. Oh yeah. Well, maybe we should just get into it because the go call the governor of the game that I'm about to introduce of the topics today are really wild actually so I I think we should just jump in so I'm going to present you with three cultural scenarios from recent and or ancient history and by ancient history I mean like three days ago and you're going to decide whether or not the governor needs to be called there are no wrong answers but your choice is binary does the governor need to be called or not All right, so let's do it. Okay, big topic up first. Kanye West and Julia Fox from Uncut (laughs) Gems are dating. I knew this was going to be it. Yeah. Um, Yes, absolutely. This is a this is a man in crisis. Mm -hmm. Like here he is out there professing his love for Kim being like, I want you back, come back to me. And then is down in Miami doing who knows what with poor sweet Julia Fox. 
obviously it's a PR thing. So good for them. Like they're out to be recorded, but someone needs to save him from himself at this point. Yeah. He's, he's definitely in a downward spiral. I was really put off. I mean, he's done a lot of off-putting behavior over the past five years, but I was really put off over the winter break Mm -hmm. seeing that he was either either had moved in or was planning to move into the house directly across the street from Kim, which could be like some sort of like co-parenting, like conscious uncoupling thing, but nothing about this uh, uncoupling has seemed particularly conscious so far. So, and he just (laughs) is like so stalkery. So I don't know. He is no Gwyneth Paltrow. Like I, Mm -hmm. I, it's exactly, it seemed very stalkery to me. Like Kim, you know, strong, independent woman seems like she is ready to move on with her life. And then, you know, he, he goes and, and does that. It just feels like a total infringement kind of on her space. And yeah, I really didn't like that. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's the girl, Julia, but then the day after, I think he was spotted with some other girls on his balcony too. So I think he's been rotating through a series of four, but (laughs) as the last thing I saw was that he and Julia are now officially dating whatever that means and she last night gave I I don't know how to describe it she did like a blog post basically for interview magazine as told to the editor-in-chief about her date with Kanye which is like she was like posting out on WordPress or something. I've never seen anything like it before. And there was a full photo shoot oh of him like making her dress up in his like What is Balenciaga. his thing with making girls dress up? Like I, that is one of also his more problematic behaviors to yeah. me where he, he people dress up how he wants them to dress. He made Kim completely redo her style. Yeah. Apparently he maybe did the same thing with Irina. I mean, who knows there? Also slight non sequitur, but for living in LA, as long as I did, I didn't understand the concept of like blinds before. And oh how, yeah. I mean, you're, I, I think that you are very well versed in this, but the blinds have been kind of on this whole situation. And I, yeah, I, I, I mean, if they're actually in a relationship, I don't believe it, but you know, no. I definitely don't believe, but like if there's kind of like the mirror verse version of Kim and Pete, Mm -hmm. I think Kanye and Julia Fox is as close as we're going to get to like the other side of the pole. Like I really like her. I've loved her. Like Uncut Gems is one of my favorite movies of the past few years. Mm. And I follow, she's an incredible Instagram follow too. Like, (laughs) and she's been doing like cool New York stuff for close to 10 years now. So I'm kind of glad that he, he picked someone like cool at least to do this right. stunt with and yeah. someone who definitely gets the joke of it, I think. But I think, um, it, you know, on her end, it's a, a really strategic thing. I mean, she is now getting the name recognition. Like if you haven't seen Uncut Gems, I'm not actually even sure what else she's been in. You know, mm-hmm. like if you haven't seen that, now you of course will know her name and she's going to be elevated so on her end smart decision win-win yeah yeah win-win exactly um but on his end I'm not sure his ultimate goal here and I think he's just kind of flailing so the governor needs to have a little bit of an intervention with him in my opinion yeah 
he, I think per, he's perpetually in need of some sort of intervention, which <laughs> sucks. Like it's, it's hard to defend a lot of his behavior, but I genuinely love him as an artist and yeah. I will always have like hold space for him and his pursuits for sure. It's just, mm-hmm. it's hard to like, I don't know. At least this is like fun coverage, not like too dark. Sad. No, yeah. exactly. And I think he is probably the just best example of trying to and like needing to separate the art from their artist as we have like in modern kind of you know daily mail pop culture like he is such a talented musician and designer and thinker but his personal behavior is really problematic and I think that it's a good conversation we need to have it because there will always be problematic people who make amazing art and we need to figure out like as a society, how do we treat that? How do we deal with them? Yeah. And yeah, I think, I think he can still make great music and, you know, could still do that stuff, but there should be some repercussions to his kind of general actions. In my yeah. Opinion. And I do think like Kim leaving him was the biggest consequence he's ever faced, arguably. Like, I don't think, I think he's going to be chasing the Kim high for the rest of his life, which mm. is, I think, a maybe a dark rude thing to say but like I do like those two were meant for each other in a lot of ways and really kind of complement each other so well and I don't know I don't know where either of them really go from here but absolutely and I mean this is a bit of a dark take but he produced his best work in and I think a lot of artists there are times of crisis like after his mother died you get mm-hmm. beautiful dark twisted fantasy like you get his best work when yeah. he is emotionally fragile and so like you know Adele her best stuff coming after big breakups you know 21 came after this life-changing breakup are we gonna get something similar like is his kind of re-emergence or you know next career pivot his next kind of phase of his art is that going to be really influenced by this and I think could be some really like interesting music that comes out of this um mm-hmm. I think you're totally right like he's never moving on from this <laughs> no like, how, how can you how could you I mean and I don't know where she's going from here either because dating Pete Davidson is about as high profile a boyfriend as you can like collect these days yeah but I don't know where she goes past here like she'd have to date like Leonardo DiCaprio I mean, and she's what, 40 years too old? Yeah, he's 15. (laughs) She's she's out out of the window right now. So, But anyway, I think we need to move on to the next topic, which is something I just learned about today. The Netflix reality TV show, Hype House. Does the governor need to be called? Do you Um, know what this is? No, I mean, based off my facial expressions, no. Terrible name. So maybe, but yeah, I don't know what this is. So I... I'm you're I think a little bit more plugged into TikTok than I am and we're we'll talk about that a little bit later in the emergency but apparently there's a full Netflix reality show about like some some like TikTok people I've actually heard of from one of those posting houses or whatever like content oh, houses like the hype houses yeah it's called hype house it's about oh, hype house so it's like okay. Um, so I mean, I, that's fascinating. And it's like, you know, to be expected, of course, Netflix is going to want to like capitalize on this because TikTok is where Gen Z is. And, you know, TikTok was more visited than Google in 2021. Like there are people are spending so much time on it. And 
But I, I like, what story could they possibly tell that we don't know already? Like, you know, young people are feeling the, you know, the pains and perils of fame while they like, you know, grow exponentially. Like, I, I just don't know what story there's going to be there beyond yeah. the traditional one. From what I can gather from like the two reviews I read, it's mostly about these like late teens, early 20s people trying to translate TikTok success, which mm-hmm. for like these big accounts is usually just doing like the little dances and stuff into something that requires, and I'm using their words, not mine, I'm not trying to be snarky, actual talent. Mm. which is like that's hard to do I don't think we've seen a TikTok person really like translate into broader success quite yet and I think like I mean it's an interesting question because we're just obviously talking about the Kardashians like they made a blueprint for not having any inherent quote-unquote talent and become you know staying culturally relevant for two decades like is there a way that you can and I think if you're on TikTok, you don't have to have talent necessarily to be really big. You have to, you know, have certain bone structure often. And yeah. is there a way that they can, yeah, stay relevant without developing talent? Or like, if you're going to progress and have a longer career, especially like inter- entertainment, do you have to develop something? Like, do you have to translate what you're doing on this tiny little mobile form into something that's larger and more marketable? Exactly. And a lot of this stuff there, I mean, beyond just the dancing, like if you're doing sort of more interpersonal content, it's usually like just lip syncing mm-hmm. to other people's like jokes or like doing funny faces or you're showcasing relationship drama predicated entirely on other creators. Yeah. So you just like, you see these avatars without actually knowing like who's behind it. And I, I just watch, I, I had to go get my tires repaired like last <laughs> month. And of course, because I was sitting for five hours, basically, I watched on the TV in the office a ton of Keeping Up With The Kardashians. They were just doing some marathon on E!, and it's really easy to forget that even if the Kardashians don't necessarily have like artistic talents per se, mm-hmm. they are very charismatic people. Oh. And you can see yeah. why like they've, they're, they're fascinating figures like just on a personal level in a way that like Charlie D'Amelio or like Nikita Dragon probably is not, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, um, Whereas like YouTube stars in order to keep people watching for half an hour or an hour to some of these longer, like makeup tutorials or something, you have to have a level of charisma with TikTok, you're under three minutes. Like you really, you know, that, and that's the longest end you can have these really bite-sized consumable things with no like necessary charisma attached to it. And I think that's a really interesting observation of like the difference between the Kardashians and how they were able to sustain relevancy versus like these younger TikTok stars, which are sustaining relevancy for 20 seconds up to a time, you know, at any one moment. And I kind of think it's going to be really hard for them, you know, try to migrate off of TikTok. Like, how do you even do that? Where do you go from there? Like, what's the equivalent platform? I don't know. know. Like, there's definitely no other platform that they can, at least in terms of like apps and social media, like there's nowhere else to go. Like they're at the apex right now. But I mean, we've seen like 
Addison Ray trying to do movies and music to like mix success. And didn't and that, Dixie try like a little music career as well? Yeah, she's still doing it too. I mean, she's yeah. uh, the songs are not there with Dixie <laughs> <laughs> to me at least. But the the Addison um the next Addison Ray single that she's been teasing on TikTok for a long time was co-written by Charlie XCX, who I stand and love like my number one inch and the snippets sound really catchy and good actually so okay. if all it takes is like one single to get the gaze on board honestly we're easy <laughs> like that so if if she she could do it I think with a little yeah. bit of quality she could do it but add I think that's not easily like add some Max Martin like it can't be that bad no. you know like you know, Dixie or you sub in Dixie for Selena versus Demi, you know, you can put anybody in there. It's going to be a fine song probably. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to hear it. Excited to go dancing to it. Yeah, me too. Let's like release the song. It's time. She's been teasing it for four months now. So, all right. Last topic for this game. Rooney Mara Mara Mm -hmm. is playing Audrey Hepburn in a biopic. Does the governor need to be called? Yeah, because there are going to be some white girls with coronaries. Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh, an Audrey Hepburn biopic. Like, how many? And, you know, I am maybe a a previous horse girl, a current horse girl, whatever, certainly fall into the basic category in some ways. But, like, there are a lot of girls with some Audrey Hepburn posters, like, in their living rooms who are excited about this. Interesting, because I feel like Rooney's a bit edgier um, than I would kind of pick for an Audrey biopic. But, yeah, I mean... I, I can't say I'm like excited to go see it just because I think biopics in general are kind of weird sometimes. Um, yeah. But I think it's going to be like an event for, you know, the millennial white women out there. Absolutely. I, I think it's going to have the same vibe as the Kristen Stewart, Princess Diana movie that came out, <laughs> which I haven't seen yet. So I can't speak to like the quality, yeah. but I know that that movie is sort of a deconstructed biopic almost where it's not just like you know the boring like bohemian rhapsody like i was born i sang i died like right. kind of structure there's they they're doing like weird like dream like twists and stuff i think to like make it a little bit more abstract and not just you know conventional like we know the story or whatever right so that could be good and it's directed by the guy who did call me by your name which i really enjoyed Loved that movie. I saw that on an airplane. And you know, when you like watch a movie on an airplane and all of your inhibitions just kind of drop away and you're like sitting there and crying next to a random man. That's what happened (laughs) to me when I saw Call Me By Your Name. Um, Yeah, I think, I think it's really interesting how there is like, there've been a bunch of biopics about Princess Diana, Jackie Kennedy, Marilyn Monroe, now Audrey Hepburn seems like the natural, you know, next step all of these I'm not sure why culture has decided that we need to revisit all these women and make biopics about all of them mm-hmm. you know but I, but I I'm glad that they're taking a slightly fresher take hopefully on it um and I think Rooney's an interesting enough and, and she's a she's a great actress so yeah. I think if anybody can make it really interesting I think she can she she definitely is talented and I think she has the look down too which is not necessarily needed I think to for biopics like I don't think Kristen Stewart looks anything like Princess Diana or like 
Natalie Portman definitely doesn't look like Jackie Kennedy, but like <laughs> they like I think like as long as you can get the vibe and the like the essence right, like that's yeah, that's what counts. So I did see a blind item. There was a blind item over break that was rumbling around about in like two unvaccinated actresses that are apparently causing Hollywood to really like put up their guards because of like just the publicity like fear of like a publicity fiasco and like just getting COVID and allegedly 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 the two actresses are Rooney Mara Mara and um Carrie Ann Moss like from The Matrix Oh, very similar looks. I don't Mm -hmm. love that. I mean, yeah, that's it's a really bad look at this, you know, in this day and age. Um, you know, can allegedly that would be terrible. Like I, you know, I kind of believe it. Like they are very, (laughs) like they they are very like wellnessy people. Um, and I know Uh, that she. And Joaquin Phoenix, her, I don't think they're actually married, but they at least have a kid. They were always spotted at the Monty's Good Burger that I used to live down Sunset from in Silver Lake, which for people who um, who have not or do not live in LA, um, Monty's Good Burger is like a very well-known like vegan burger chain. Um, so I don't I know. Mean, I can see uh, it. I can, I can definitely see it. Yeah. I think... I was, I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but they were like, isn't LA like so vaxxed? And I'm sure it is, you know, proportion wise, it is obviously a very democratic progressive area, but there are so many mommy bloggers and wellness icons and, you know, juice cleansy people who do not want the vax, you know, and and don't want to get the vaccination. Exactly. Those were the OG anti-vaxxers basically. Like it's, it's, it's easy to forget that it's really only within the past five years that anti-vax, not to like take it to this place on this <laughs> podcast, but like it's only been within the past few years that like it's become this politicized an issue across party lines. Like before like anti-vax stuff was really like, I mean, Gwyneth is vaxxed, I'm pretty sure, but like they're like the like goopy type people and like, Totally. And I mean, people. the big, like, yeah, again, not to, not to go way too into it on, on this podcast, but like the big thing during our age, like when we were growing up was Gardasil, like yeah. that was, that was the big cultural thing. And that was a lot of, yeah, wellness people. It wasn't cut across party lines at all. It was like people who don't want to fill their kids up with, you know, unnecessary vaccines, don't want to encourage sex, all that sort of stuff. And now of course it's like much more, yeah, politicized, but these women built out the template, like, you know, all, all the QAnon people are just following. The literature, (laughs) if you will, was written by like baked by Wendy or whatever. Like like they're, they're, they're not, um, like the, the foundational texts are from like Tumblr and like Pinterest boards, you know, it's, it's, it's they 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 walk so like the republican <laughs> party could jump which is tough to say and on that note i think we need to take a quick break um and we will be right back and we are back let's move on to this episode's cultural emergency 
Grace, what are you rushing to the ER today? I am, I'll just say I'm a reluctant ER person to this. Like I did not want to have to go to the ER for this, but we need to talk about it because it has become a cultural emergency and that is the metaverse. So I want to talk about it, unpack it with you, you figure out, is this the future of the internet? Is this going to change humanity? Is this just a passing fad? What do we think about it? So when did you first, when did it come into your consciousness? Well, I think, so I worked in marketing and in media in Los Angeles before moving to Chicago. And because I think of all of the opportunities for advertising and marketing, this has been like kind of on the wish list of advertisers and people who like want to sell you stuff for a long time. So AR and VR has kind of been, you know, really going around since I think Google announced it in 2014. Those were kind of the initial rumblings of it. I would say it's only until this past year when Facebook is, you know, really going all in, spending billions and billions of dollars yeah. that, that it's become so much more of like a necessary discussion beyond industry specific and more like this actually will impact on many people's lives. Yeah. I think it's such an, it is an interesting concept that I think a lot of people have derided as just being like, oh, it's just the Sims. Like, what are we going to do with all of this? But like, it's, I, th- I, I'm glad that your marketing perspective is in this discussion because it really is going to be a total game changer in how we really engage with day-to-day materialism. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to go to, you know, hate Ashbury, like hippy dippy on it, but I do think the idea and the plan from all of these tech companies is to make it incredibly integrated into our everyday lives. And so that, you know, of course we're on our devices and we're on our phones all the time, that that becomes even more seamless. And the data that I, you know, if I'm a marketer, the data that I have on you is not just what you're buying, but at the end of the day, you know, what you're thinking about the things that you look at longer, you know, tracking your movements, all that sort of stuff. Like that is such a gold mine for advertisers and for people who want to buy and use that data for either good or bad purposes that, you know, and I think one of the things that I've been thinking about so much with relation to this is, you know, Facebook obviously has created a lot of problems and, you know, has changed our society in many ways, not for the better. And they seem like they're kind of not working on that. They're just doing like the next phase, the next innovation. And I feel like all those problems are only going to get magnified when you introduce the metaverse to it. There, yes, I I definitely agree with that. Like, I think especially as Facebook-owned apps stand right now, they have become increasingly clunky in how they present ads and products to you. Like, if you, this is anecdotal, but like, I'm sure I'm not alone in this. Like, my Instagram feed has become borderline unusable (laughs) on my phone recently because every, every other post Mm -hmm. is an ad for something or a recommended account or whatever that's usually like does like paid partnerships with like a variety of like different companies and stuff like it's not I can't actually see 
what I want to see these days, right. which is my friends who I'm trying to like, just like, like photos and stuff and comment photos. Right. And even like in Facebook, I mean, I barely use Facebook these days, but even that, like every other post is like a banner ad for something. Like right. I can see how the metaverse is going to streamline that process and make like the VR products just more seamlessly just like present like in the background of things but like I mean you can obviously go look and see like what all these things are not like yeah and um, I you know it's funny that you bring up the sims because I I recently had COVID along with everyone else um and I played the sims during a period of my COVID because I was like bored for days on end and they have all these product integrations now inside the sims they have balenciaga did like uh like within the sims they do outfits and stuff and obviously that's a more game video game like example but you can see how it really translates to the metaverse like how if you are you know quote unquote grocery shopping in the metaverse which is such a funny concept to me but that all of these products and everything are just going to be around you and you're just going to be experiencing them not as you would in a grocery store but depending on who the highest bidder is and i think that you know it's it's really going to change the way that advertisers but also i think you know how we're going to have to regulate it. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I think that there's, there's a really interesting kind of like what happens next and what needs to happen before this kind of takes over everything. Yeah. So. It's, it's also tough to forecast what this is going to do to the social aspects of social media too, because I think, mm-hmm. I mean, every app right now is sort of a different like curatorial experience within the social mm-hmm. sphere like Facebook is obviously like I guess you can do groups with it but that's mostly just for like you know people you actually know Instagram is you're not really interacting with people beyond likes and stuff but like mm-hmm. that's mostly people you already know or like just like trying to curate your own like aesthetic experience out of other people's accounts who you don't know and then mm-hmm. Twitter feels like more of like a community building even though that's outside the Facebook sphere or whatever, but like that feels like the closest to what the metaverse's social scene could Mm. be to me. Like this kind of like open world concept where everyone is just spewing ideas into the ether. Yeah. And like tastes and like visualizations and stuff. Yeah. I think that's so, yeah, I think that's just so on point because yeah, all these other apps have kind of created little worlds for themselves or like they've kind of become a part of our lives in very specific ways. You know, I get my news on Twitter. I get my birthdays, I guess, on Facebook. I get my, you know, aspirational living maybe on Pinterest or Instagram. And the metaverse, at least how it's being marketed right now is like, it's essentially real life. Like it's just real life, but virtual. Yeah. And I think, and maybe, you know, along with the kind of nihilism that's pretty, you know, ever present, it seems these days, like as real life gets crazier and crazier, like is the metaverse where we're going to be kind of 
you know, able to escape? Like, is that yeah. where we can go skiing, where, you know, snow will be, where we can experience, you know, nature if some of this stuff eventually goes away? And, you know, I think that's the main undercurrent of what a lot of people have been talking about with the metaverse is like, it is this yes it is kind of a new platform but it's also this huge escapist thing like yeah. take you out of your reality go someplace else and become immersed in it so you don't have to think about what your life is outside in the actual day-to-day -day life which is bleak <laughs> like a little bleak i mean not a lot of bleak like i mean and that's that's you know our society is crumbling for sure but like i do um there is something very like sci-fi not to be reductive about mm -hmm. it about like as like just living in this like digital digitized world where mm -hmm. i'm sure like the same sort of structural parallels as real life are going to be like imposed on like i mean going yeah. back to your like balenciaga example like that stuff's not free within that's not going to be free no. within the metaverse. You're going to be paying money to like dress your avatar or whatever up in like clothes that you're spending money on for a game right. character, which I guess happens in in like other like little app games and stuff too. Like I play Pokemon Go, which is like not a great one-to-one. -one or like comparison. even Farmville or yeah. you know, the, the Kardashian, you know, people real money on this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, to bring it, briefly because you know I don't know that nfts are like the best thing to talk about um but it's the same thing I think that there's an idea you know why would you ever spend x number of dollars on a picture of a monkey and it's you know people spend money on digital things all the time you know money you know on little avatars or games that aren't tangible right like you can't yeah. actually hold a picture of whatever you're buying but it's a signifier in that particular world like if you are in a community of tech bros having one of these pictures of a monkey is a signifier like i can spend money on yeah. this you know you're broadcasting that and i think that the metaverse is going to be that but for every other aspect of your life as well yeah i think we're the nft and the crypto conversation like the promise of that conversation is the translation of those tokens mm -hmm. in like where you're spending real world money on you get in a success story you get a ton of real world money in return like in a, in a success story like not <laughs> yes. a lot of people are not doing that like i saw like there was some horror story, I guess, that was going around Twitter over break about some guy who lost three NFTs, I think, which was apparently the real life equivalent of thirty thousand mm -hmm. dollars. Which I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like I know this that it would be upsetting for me too, but like, did you? I'm like, did you sink thirty thousand <laughs> real world dollars into this, or like, I what's mean going on here? At the end of the day, like, it's such a funny conversation whenever I talk to people who are really into the NFT token world, where it's like, you just end up making, right? Like you invest yeah. $30,000 and you get $40,000 back when you sell that. And it's like, do we not see any correlation here to the Ponzi scheme, right? Like that yeah, money is exactly. just like coming out of nowhere, right? right. I don't want to say it's a direct correlation, 
However, no, but it, it, there is like a house like, of cards to it. There's like, going to be a loser there, right? Yeah. Like there's going to be someone at the end of the airplane game who cannot, you know, recruit somebody to buy the picture of the monkey that they exactly. have for $40,000. Like there's going to be people who are end up holding the bag. It's not just money can be created forever. Like, it's the, just delusional. Yeah. The promise of gains is mm-hmm. what keeps people coming back. And I'm going to be yeah. interested to see in the metaverse, what a like quote unquote success story is going to look like, like what the gains are going to look like, because I've seen, I think this is a really interesting platform and I'm really excited to see how it gets rolled out. But I think like, at least in my corner of the internet, I've seen a lot of skepticism towards the idea and like, how is this going to actually draw people in like what's going to incentivize people Mm. to participate in this and I'm going to be that'll be yeah and I I think you know once you're always in any tech platform you're going to have the early adopters we're seeing that now yeah but you know I think and one, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you about it today is because you know the biggest technology conference of you know, the world, the US CES is going on right now. And so many of these companies, companies that you think, uh, did they have any business being in the metaverse or like, what are they possibly going to do with the metaverse are trying to build out their own either platforms or parts of platforms right now. And everyone is now trying to get into the game. And I think, you know, over the past couple of years, really slow momentum. And now we're finally seeing that exponential pickup of people. But again, at the end of the day, it's like, what value add is this bringing to my life? Like, yeah, is it because I can interact with my coworkers on a better or slightly different level than I can with Zoom? Is it I can go to a city that I would never be able to go to in real life through the metaverse? Like what is going to get people, everyday people on board? I think the best way to sell it to consumers, because it sounds like the corporations are all buying in. That's half the battle right there. But like the more, arguably the more important part is getting the consumers to buy in. And I think selling them the idea that they, this is the most unfiltered curatorial experience they've ever Mm -hmm. had is going to be the main selling point in both like how how much access you have to like brands, like sightseeing, like escapist activities within this sphere, and also the chance to fully express yourself perfectly in the way you want to, which people like people are trying to do that. People have tried to do that with like Instagram and Pinterest to stop. And especially I think in that, that is like a visual, uh, usually a visual approximation of what you want to show to the world right but in the metaverse like the possibilities are such so much more expansive almost and how you can kind of like idealize yourself and your outward presentation 100 percent, and i think just to bring back up something that you brought up earlier which i think is such an interesting question of like what are the power like how are power imbalances that exist within the real world like how are those interpersonal, you know, differences going to play out in the metaverse. Like if you have less real, you know, fewer real dollars to spend in the metaverse, are you going to be unable to access some of those sites? Are you going to be 
unable to get into the coolest virtual club? Like, are there going to be, you know, either racial or socioeconomic or, you know, are there going to be discriminatory patterns that we see within the real world that also are now translating to the metaverse? And I think the idea, like tech platforms are always, this is a more equal opportunity area, right? Like everyone has access to this at some point, presumably, but you know, how, how are you going to make sure that some of the things that we see right now that are terrible society ills are not just the exact same in the metaverse Yeah. and how, like, how are we going to be presenting ourselves in that capacity? You know, yeah. if we're trying to put on the ver- best version of ourselves, you know, how are we making things worse? I don't know. Yeah. Especially like, I mean, this is maybe a superficial analysis, but like you definitely would expect a lot of people to catfish right like if you're giving there are dating apps that are now like trying to get in on on the metaverse game yeah right like your little avatar and you would have to imagine that there is you know not to typecast but some 75 year old man who's like i could get on here and talk to some you know virtually meet some really interesting pretty young people you know how do you how do you enforce any of this stuff like no one's thought it out it doesn't seem like and I think that the technology is going full steam ahead and I think companies are getting on board starting to and yet there doesn't seem to be a lot of attention being paid to the other end of it like how are we going to make sure any of this stuff is not bad yeah and as two people who are both very interested in like tech policy and regulatory mm-hmm. policy, like it's a little <laughs> frightening to think about like how, how completely lawless this is going to be at first without like massive codification. Yeah. I like, mean, like as somebody who is in the advertising industry and just saw like the absolute wild west of data practice, you know, and no shade on my company. My company was great and incredibly ethical, but the amount of data that is available should not be legal, right? Like the stuff that is currently happening in this industry is, is not ethical. And it's just how, you know, it's just the fact that there aren't any laws, like there's no regulation on any of this stuff. So you're at a loss if you don't do it. And I think that this, yeah, you just absolutely said it. Like the met- the metaverse is just going to be a bit of a free for all in that respect. I think. Yeah, and to be fair, like a lot of platforms are like that at first before they sort of set up guidelines or like crack down on issues. Like I mean, I remember Reddit has a reputation for being pretty pretty much a free for all right now too in a lot of ways. But like back in the day, like 10 years ago, it was like 4chan levels of like complete, completely unregulated, like just like rampant like bullying and like emotional terrorism and hate speech and like all this shit. Like it's and now it's a lot different. Mm. Still like it's going to have the same problems at any like forum where people can just like spew whatever they want is going to be but like it all these um I mean all this platform development requires such a steep learning curve Mm. and but the I mean the metaverse just like the the premise of it like you're it's gonna you both need to like figure out what works and what doesn't work and implement it in a very short time period. Right. And when you have like 
up there, you know, during these congressional hearings asking, what is a Finsta? Like, you know, in yeah. 2021, like, tell me about what Finstagram is. Um, you know, you, you can't really hope for it on the government end, you know, no. like, I, I think that you definitely it's going to be so far behind, which basically leaves it up to the tech companies to try to regulate themselves. I don't have a ton of faith in that. Um, I mean, Twitter just banned Marjorie Taylor Greene yeah. from Twitter right this past week. And like, that's one of the highest profile bannings that they've had. There have been plenty of other people that have said equally bad things. And it feels like they're almost trying to play catch up a little bit. But yeah, and I, I think that it's I mean, going to be a very short turnaround and it's just not going to happen on the government, unfortunately. No, definitely not. And I, I think one of like, one of the few hopes for this sort of platform is that it might be just because it is a sort of a confusing concept it might be inherently exclusionary to like <laughs> i cannot older see people my dad or uninformed like, people like yeah 100 yeah i mean I can't remember who was talking about this. It's like all work meetings will be on the metaverse in 2025. And it's like, really, you know, you think you're going to get a bunch of older people who are barely figuring yeah. out Slack. Like, and exactly. Teams. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, every company I've ever worked for has had an issue with Slack. Like I cannot imagine. <laughs> no, like the, the Goldman Sachs is not going to go to the metaverse. Like no way. But I, um, like part of the problem that like Facebook got so toxic eventually was because it is pretty easy and accessible for people of all ages in like tech literacy to engage with. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason that misinformation got so rampant on that platform is just because there are a lot of susceptible people on there. Like, right. I don't, I don't want to sound elitist when I say this, but I do think the metaverse has a barrier to entry like you have to be a certain level of tech literate to actually get a lot and you have to have three hundred dollars to spend on the you know headset right now yeah. like even just to get into the kind of the initial metaverse absolutely you have to be tech literate, have some substantial money and a reason to go on the platform and if you're not super versed in these you know, things, why would you like, yeah. if you don't have friends or anything on there, why would you go on these platforms? So in that sense, I think back to your earlier question, like, I think it's going to be a little while before there's a real value for the everyday consumer to try to seek out the metaverse yeah. and for companies to be like, we're migrating here, um, beyond maybe, you know, the, the kind of expected tech ones. Yeah. So maybe that's a hopeful thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, I mean, we kind of, everything else feels so apocalyptic right now. Right. Like, I mean, I like, you gotta just be a little glass half full with some of this. Like yeah. no, it exactly. doesn't, it's so easy to just like fall into nihilism right now. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, like I, I'm just, it's going to be a little sinister. It's going to be a little weird, but like, yes, I would love to go to Bali. I would love to like go to like vir a virtual simulation of Bali. Like let me let me do it and i'll wear my <laughs> i'll wear my 400 dollars balenciaga like puddle boots or whatever or no that's potato potato but whatever like i'll wear my like fancy shoes there so my crocs yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> right, well i think we have to move on to our final segment so we're gonna play tear the community apart 
Sounds scary, not too scary. The <laughs> rules are pretty simple here. I have picked two songs and you're going to tell me which one is better. Great. So this is a pretty tough one, I think. All Both right. of these songs hit number one in 2021. Okay. Two of the highest performing ballads of the year mm. from two generations of pop stars, let's say. Okay. Which song is better? Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo or All Too Well Taylor's Version by Taylor Swift. Drew, why would you do this to me? <laughs> like, this is a hate crime to make me. <laughs> it, is, it is positively terroristic that I've done this, but. This is, a, this, this is mean. Oh my, I. <sighs> Wait, okay. Did you say All Too Well Taylor's Version specifically? Taylor's Version specifically. <sighs> All right. This is such such a bad thing that I'm about to say. I like Taylor's original music better. Um, I'm glad yep. you're giving me the thumbs yep. up. Thumbs yep. up. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, I will just say there's something about listening to an artist record it when they are in the feelings about it. She's not still thinking about Jake Gyllenhaal, mm -hmm. right? But when she recorded that original all too well, you like hear it in her voice. You hear the pain, you hear the sadness. I feel like some of the emotion has been a little stripped out of it. And so, I mean, driver's license, absolutely. Like probably one of my favorite songs of the year. She Olivia Rodrigo talk about a TikTok star, incredible, you know, both yeah. <laughs> like for the younger. And I think both of these artists have kind of resisted the like bend into the emo 80s kind of nihilism trait that's like happening within a lot of music. And I think that both of these are just like classic great pop songs, but I'm have to go with driver's license. I I agree with everything you've said today. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I do like the, um, I do find value in the re-recordings of the Taylor songs for sure, yeah. but I can't really think of a, like a Taylor's version song that I would mm -hmm. revisit over the original one. Same. Like, especially yeah. on Red, a lot of like the poppier leaning ones with like the product like where the production's like Cynthia right. it just doesn't they just don't sound quite right yeah on the re-record but I do like the she's doing all these um like the new songs from the vault though like that I don't yes. remember I can't remember message what's in a bottle them. yeah great yes. the one great with song. um Phoebe Bridgers whose name oh. I cannot remember I love that one yeah. um and like a lot of the reinterpretations are good. Like I love the 10 minute version of all too well, yeah. but like, you're absolutely right that the emotion it's like a facsimile of like yes, what she was 100%. feeling. Yeah. And I mean, again, not to say that I did not cry when I listened to all too well, well, watching the music video with both of my roommates, all three of us sitting on a couch sobbing that happened. However, I would say, yeah, the original versions, and I don't want to give my Spotify dollars and like voting currency on Spotify to Scooter Braun, but like I, mm -hmm. you know, I like, <laughs> <laughs> saying all that, but I, yeah, I'll, I think I'm always going to be an original, an OG Taylor stan rather than a, a newer one. Yeah, I agree. And I, she's made great new music in the past too, between like yeah. folklore, especially I love, yes. um, and I think this is a cool project with a great 
reason to do it behind it, but yeah. yeah and I before, mean, like, honestly, before folklore and before what was Evermore, I guess I was like, maybe she's kind of seen her son, like she'll be a big touring artist, but like, you know, maybe she's seen like her, her, the apex of her career. Yeah. I didn't know that she had this whole other side to her that was going to be able to come out with, you know, really stripped down and much more narrative. And I, I think that she made such a great career pivot there. And I understand why, obviously, it, from a pretty cynical perspective, she's doing all this re-recording, like so that she's pocketing and owning her music yeah. at the end of the day. Um, and I, yeah, I totally get it. I would do it if if I were her. Probably. I, yeah, absolutely. Like it's it is a little cynical, but it, at the same time, it's like this is my intellectual yeah. property. This this is my work. Why shouldn't I be able to make money off of it? Yeah. It's coming as a lot of big artists are actually selling all of their, you know, all of mm-hmm. their uh, recordings to big studios and and all of their music. So I think it's like an interesting thing that she's doing that is kind of against the grain of other artists yeah. um, who are kind of capping out at the end of the day. Um, no shade to that, but yeah, I think what she's doing, good for her. I'm going to listen to the originals. <laughs> yeah. On the other side of the coin, where do you think Olivia Rodrigo goes from here? Because Sour is such a great album, and I think it's probably like the defining mainstream album of 2021. I can't think of one that is bigger, quite honestly. Definitely. It would be, you'd be hard pressed to come up with another one, I think. And, but I I don't know where stylistically she's going to go from here. Because I think by the time she records another album, the pop punk thing is going to be out the door, like the folky like Phoebe everyone like all the pop girlies are doing like Phoebe Bridgers and like Claro stuff right now and I think that's not going to be trendy so yeah I mean the pop punk thing I think it's really interesting those first like initial like guitar chords on the first album brutal it's just Mm -hmm. like it's kind of jarring to listen to because it's not something that you really hear on the radio like I think she really mainstreamed pop punk in a way. And I think, I don't know if like the culture is ready for that. You know, I kind of, The Weeknd just kind of released a new album and I think his sadness, you know, emo boy rock, like I think that's more here to stay than her sound is. I agree. Um, Especially because like the initial wave of pop punk was so rude in like early mid 2000s culture. Like Mm -hmm. it is sort of, I mean, it's a dated sound in the same way that The Weeknd is using like 80s, like new wave music. But there's something about that that feels a little bit more timeless almost than like. And I think we're in an 80s moment, honestly. Like I think fashion, like you're getting chunky gold hoops, you're getting oversized blazers, like fashion in its 80s moment interior design we're leaving the scandinavian like white everything open floor plan to go to back to a maximal you know maximalist that's even yeah. more like velour sort of look and a bunch of textures and colors and i think that that is i think that seems more the the feeling of right now than the early 2000s 90s does um in terms of like I would say music fashion interior design I think we're in an 80s moment totally and I mean thing you know things could change obviously but like I I don't see Olivia Rodrigo doing like a like an 80s pop album I don't know how 
I mean, she's also so much younger too, though. She's young. And I just, I, I worry with any girl that age, um, like what the industry does (laughs) to them, like granted things are better than the two thousands for, for women in Hollywood, but they're not that much better. Like yeah. it's still a really, really hard industry. And when you're a young person that is that profitable and, you know, so many people are invested in your success. Like it's hard to kind of retain a sense of individuality and to stick to what you want to write and what, you know, versus someone telling you, here's what's going to sell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. And it's just the reference points are going to be different too. like between all these, like I'm saying generations, but you know, like a decade in pop music years is like 20 years and like age between pop stars proper. Like you just, it's just a very different, like, like, I mean, Olivia Rodrigo's first exposure to like eighties or eighties inspired music beyond probably like what her parents were playing was like the weekend or like someone Stranger or thing. Gaga. Yeah, yeah. Like doing some, some sort of like eighties inspired thing, not even like the real deal. So right. I don't know. It's, it's a copy of a copy. Yeah, no, I think that's totally a hundred percent. Like how can you really write an eighties thing when you're not even close to that decade? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, Taylor was born in 1989. Well, obviously we all know that we all know this, <laughs> we all but know. Like, not like her dabbling with 80, like eighties pop feels pretty authentic because mm-hmm. even if she was born, like right as the decade was ending, she's, um, like she's getting like the tailwinds of it, like right. growing up, like That's all that stuff. Is, listening to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all that stuff's still knocking around the radio. Like Say like, like if you're like eight years old in 1997. Yeah. That's parents parents were not listening to Nirvana. Like they were probably listening to Jimmy Buffett or, you know, whoever else. Yeah. Or like, aha, or like stuff like this. Like, (laughs) like think about like what came out eight, eight years ago from 2022 was like chain smokers and, um, talk dirty by Jason Derulo is from 2014. (laughs) Like that's the kind of like that's the perspective we're working with right. here. Like, it's just different. I don't know. It's time is relative. At the end of the day, this podcast is about how time is relative and like <laughs> everyone knows different things. So, um, all right. Well, I think we have to wrap up, but Grace, thank you so much for being here today. This was a delight and also way more informative, I think, genuinely than like some this of these episodes so can be fun. I had such a great time talking to you about this. I feel like we talk about this stuff like off podcast too. Yeah. I'm happy to be able to talk about it with you on podcast as well. So if you would like to be found on social media, where can people find you? Um, I have a Twitter that's pretty rogue, but people can find me at smoothie King, like store smoothie King, but with two eyes. All right. Awesome. Um, you can find me on Twitter at FK pigs with a Z on Instagram at drew Haskins with C's. And if you would like to follow the podcast, we have social media feeds now at crisis twink pod on Twitter and Instagram. So definitely go follow that please. Um, and rate and review on Apple podcasts and Spotify. Cause that's also very helpful. Um, all right. Well, until next time, bye everyone. Like what you just heard? Go to the show notes and whatever podcast app you're listening to this on 
and click the donation link.